As we continue in this uh, Advent season, I want to focus this morning and next Sunday on the first 18 verses of uh, John chapter 1, the prologue uh, to John's gospel. And so you can turn there, John chapter 1, verse uh, 1. As you're turning there, the New Testament uh, scholar Raymond Brown said that if John's gospel has been described as the pearl of great price within the New Testament writings, then we may say that the prologue is the pearl within John's gospel. That while the gospel of John and the New Testament writings, and indeed uh, we can say all of the counsel of God are full of treasures, full of truth for us, the people of God, he's saying this is a pearl uh, of great worth within all of Scripture. And its value, we'll see, is both in the structure, the beauty of how it is constructed and put together, and certainly in the meaning of its content. And one of the questions it answers for us as God's people is what, is, uh, what defines true life? What defines true life? And where is that life found? So John chapter 1, verse 1, we'll read through verse 9 this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Certainly one of the great worldview questions centers around life's meaning. What is the purpose of life? And John in the opening verses tells us very clearly. Verse 4, in him the word... Christ was life. And yet as we look around our society today and ask, where are people looking to find uh, purpose in life, to find meaning and fulfillment in life? In 2017, the Pew Research Center conducted a couple of surveys, one with uh, sort of uh, closed-ended questions but then another with open-ended questions, asking Americans to describe what makes their life feel meaningful or fulfilling and satisfying. And the findings may not surprise us. By far, uh, the first, uh, uh, by a long shot, nearly 70% of those surveyed said that family was the most meaningful part of their life. The second was their career, and the third was money. All three of these are, we would say, provisions of God, in many ways blessings from God. And yet, we know, for those of us in Jesus Christ, a person can possess all three of these with abundance and with richness and completely miss the true life that John is speaking about here. In him, in Christ, was life. And we think about this time of year, Christmas time. It's filled with festivity and family gatherings, gift-giving, 
And yet, while people may be surrounded by these circumstances and this kind of pomp of the season, many will miss completely the the meaning of true life offered at Christmas. Uh, For those of you who were present at last Sunday evening's joint worship service, Pastor Matt Gray made this very point as he drew upon the birth narratives of Jesus in Matthew and Luke's gospel, speaking about those individuals who were so close to the event of the birth of Christ, but completely missed the blessing and true life that Christ would bring. He mentioned Herod, who felt this threat of his own kingdom and hearing of this new coming king. Instead of falling down to worship him and find life in him, He wanted to have him destroyed. Or the innkeeper in Luke's gospel, Luke 2, whose rooms were already full, full of guests, and so turned Joseph and Mary and the expected Savior to the lowliest of places, this uh, manger, ignorant that at his doorstep was the coming king of all creation. Unlike Matthew and Luke's Gospels that provide us the birth narrative of Christ, focusing and emphasizing the humanity of our Lord, John takes us somewhere else. John takes us to another realm regarding Jesus, beyond time and beyond space. John takes us not only to the beginning of time as we know it, but he takes us before time, before creation. And he takes us to another realm. It's a realm of the divine. Think about those opening words. In the beginning was the word. We know that verse 14 is coming, that the word becomes flesh. This word takes on humanity, human flesh, and comes into the world, clearly communicating to us that this word is a person, The word is a person. It is Jesus Christ. But the opening words also echo the first verse of the Bible. It is clear John, the apostle writing here, has Genesis 1-1 in mind, the opening words of Scripture. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. So John's reflecting this. He's echoing this. John's going back in time beyond Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, beyond Nazareth, where he was conceived, beyond the beginning of time. And he's bringing us there to get a glimpse of this glorious word, this glorious person who has no beginning. A person who has no beginning. And so John is very much, in the opening words here, bringing us up kind of a high mountain to the peak of that mountain in order to get a glimpse of this breathtaking view. That's what, in part, he's after, that we get us a wonder and amazement at this person. Because John begins his gospel where he ends his gospel. At the end of the gospel, toward the end, in John chapter 20, 20, you have doubting Thomas, Thomas the skeptic. Jesus has been crucified and risen, but Thomas is skeptical about it. And then he... He he meets Jesus and he sees him face to face in John 20, verse 28. He falls down in worship and he cries out, my Lord and my God. And so that's where John wants our hearts and our minds to go, both in the opening and 
closing of his gospel. Uh, Wonder and worship of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he is after for us. As we focus on the first three verses, we see John taking us to a time before creation itself. And not only that, to a person. So we hear again the opening verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. First of all, we see that this Word is a He. In the beginning was the Word. And then it says, He was in the beginning with God. It is a person. And this person was not only with God, but is God. This is a person who is divine. The word was God. The text literally reads, and God was the word. God was the word. John's point is not that Jesus was a God, but that he possesses the very essence of deity. He is God. In the beginning, there was already something. So if you go back to the beginning, there was someone already there. And it's the word. It's Jesus. One person paraphrased these opening verses by saying, in the beginning, there was someone who had no beginning. Now, it's quite an audacious thing for a person to claim to know with a high level of certainty just how things began. How did things come together in the beginning of creation? And how long ago did this happen? Was it 10,000 years? 100,000? 10 million? 14 billion years? As some scientists say today. But John goes beyond this. John goes beyond all of this to say what was already there before the beginning began. And what was there was a person. Described by John as the word. And John is intentional intentional about the use of this language, word. Inspired indeed by the Holy Spirit. It's in Greek the word logos. So we hear that English word, word, it's logos. It was important for both Jews and Greeks. In the Jewish mind, it was associated with creation. We think about the opening Uh, passages of of scripture about the creation uh, of all things. God spoke. Let there be light, and there was light. He spoke, and his word has power and creates. And for the Greek, the word logos was akin to reason, or this force that holds everything together. But John's bringing this language to a whole other level. Because think about what words do. What do our words do? They express our thoughts. Our words are expressions of something internal. You ever struggle to find that word or that phrase? That's, you're trying to communicate what your mind is thinking? Every day, almost for me. Trying to find that right word or phrase. When John says that Jesus is the logos, the word, he's saying Jesus is the self-expression of God. So if you want to know the thought or the mind of God himself, it's known in this word, Jesus Christ. And this is what God is after, to make himself known. He wants to be known. Which is why the last verse of the prologue, verse 18, says, 
No one's ever seen God, but the only God, Jesus, who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. Have you come to know personally this God, this Savior? And this tells us something deeply significant about the character of our God. He is a communicating God. He's a speaking God. Think about that. From before the beginning, God had a word. He had a message, a word to offer. And that message centered on a person. I may have mentioned this before, and one of the drawers in my office desk is a file entitled Personal uh, Letters. Cards, letters, notes that people have written to me that I've kept, probably 50 or 60 of of them in there, uh, that I've kept over the years. Words that were particularly meaningful to me at, at one time or another. As important as they were or are, I probably would not be able to remember over 95% of the content that is in there. I just know that at some time they impacted me, and so I've kept them. And uh, here we are at a time of the year when many of us are writing cards, letters, Christmas time, maybe an annual update. We're going to receive these, we're going to send these out, put them up on a wall, uh, maybe on a refrigerator, but it will only be for a season. They're very meaningful to us, uh, but they'll just last for a season, and then we'll Maybe put them away in a box or maybe discard them. Uh, sorry to hurt people's feelings. But, but this is a word that goes beyond that. This is a word that needs to be written on the heart. That needs to be with us at all times. The word of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word written on our hearts. And this word we see is on a mission. I love the way John unfolds this. Uh, this word is in pursuit. John moves from the word before creation, in the beginning was the word, through to creation, all things were made through him, and then from creation to the cross. I see this in verse 4 and 5. In him the word was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light and darkness are a central motif through uh, the Gospel of John. Remember, Jesus said in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Darkness represents being lost, spiritually lost. Wickedness. Light represents righteousness. The gospel of salvation found in Jesus Christ, who is life and light. So he is the light, and when the light comes, he brings life. In him was life. Both in the gospel of John and throughout the New Testament, there is often a distinction between two kinds of life that are mentioned. One is in Greek, bios. We've heard this before. This is where we get biology. This is our physical Life, the beating of our heart, the air that fills our lungs, the food we consume to get energy to live. Important about this life that all of us have is that it is a created life. It's created. It had a beginning. It's natural. And we know due to the fall, it is a corrupted life, morally corrupted, and it is mortal. It's limited. It will come to an end. 
And I would say this, this life has a huge, huge appetite. It is the appetite and thirst that so many advertisements, most of them, are seeking to serve. Especially this time of year. I think I heard an ad a week or two ago. Black Friday. But not just one Black Friday. For five days, we've got Black Friday. You understand the thinking there. Well, I do understand the thinking. But buy this product. It's going to enrich your life. Use this device. Consume this food. It's going to satisfy. This kind of life is... It's very much like the fleeting fulfillment that lasts just a minute or an hour after unwrapping the Christmas present. Like that child or adult who after unwrapping that present says, oh, this is so great. This is wonderful. Just what I wanted. Then a minute later says, what's the next thing? Comes and goes. But then there's another kind of life that scripture speaks about. It's the life that is mentioned in verse 4. It's the life in him. That is Zoe. Different word, different kind of life. What's amazing about this, this uh, life is that it is uncreated. It had no beginning. It's eternal. It's supernatural. And so significant is this life that the biblical authors describe those people who do not have this life as people who are dead. They have bios, physical life, but yet they are dead, as Paul says. We, too, were once dead in sin. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. C.S. Lewis, in an excerpt on the incarnation, actually contrasts these two kinds of life, bios and zoe. He says this, the natural life in each of us is something self-centered, something that wants to be petted and admired, to take advantage of other lives, to exploit the whole universe. And especially, it wants to be left to itself, to keep well away from anything better or stronger or higher than it, anything that might make it feel small. It is afraid of the light and air of the spiritual world, just as people who have been brought up to be dirty are afraid of a bath. And in a sense, it's quite right. It knows that if the spiritual life gets hold of it, all its self-centeredness and self-will are going to be killed, and it is ready to fight tooth and nail to avoid that. We feel that at times in our own Christian lives, the fight between those two kinds of life. What are we seeking for, for life? What are we holding on to that may be quenching or disrupting the true life that Christ is offering to us? When John says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, I think he is pointing us to the cross, to the redemption of Jesus Christ. Up to this verse, verses 1 through 4, It has been full of various forms of past verbs or past continuous tenses. Things that are in the past or in the past that still have a present effect. But John makes a shift in the fifth verse to the present. That is, now something shines on 
John is saying, basically, the light shines on still, even now. That's kind of the emphasis behind it and how important this is. At the cross, uh, it appeared that darkness had the victory. Jesus was put to death. Uh, Even today, by many appearances at times, it seems that darkness is winning. But John is saying, the light shines on. The crucified Christ is also the reigning supreme Lord and King of all things. The light shines on. And so important uh, is this word, this life and this light that was coming into the world, there was one sent to prepare the way, to get people's attention to see this light. And that's where John comes in, John the baptizer, John the Baptist, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light. He came to bear witness about the light. Notice John is doing two things. He's a witness. He himself recognizes the light, but he also is to bear witness. He is to point people to uh, the light. And so if Christ is the light, John, John comes as a kind of, what I'm going to say is kind of a dimmer switch. Now, if you go into your living room or dining room, some of us have a dimmer switch in our rooms. Uh, I think it's a real stat. That's what they're called. Uh, but a dimmer switch enables one to de- decrease or increase the intensity of the light in the room. Now, no one pays very much attention to a dimmer switch. I've never gone into a room or heard someone say, wow, that's a, that's a lovely dimmer switch you have there. As long as it is working properly, you don't pay any attention to it. But what you do see is the intensity of the light shining on the tableware or the china or whatever it might be. And that's what John's doing. John is turning up the intensity, the beauty, and the revelation of the Word, who is light to man. And we're called to see our lives that way. to turn up the dial, to turn up the switch, that the light of Christ would shine in every aspect, crevice, corner of our lives. And that we would be pointing other people to the light who is Jesus Christ. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Just a couple of nights ago, uh, after dinner and a time of a reading devotion that our family had, uh, one of our children asked me the question, uh, why, why did God permit the world to fall into to ruin and to sin? Three hours later, no, that's, that's not true. Uh, but the way that I answered that was that, well, God ordained the world to be the way it is so that uh, he could express and demonstrate his manifold attributes. His many, many different characteristics, from his justice and righteousness to his long-suffering and patience, uh, to his saving grace and mercy, to his involvement in this world. I think in a lot of ways, verse 9 is is an answer to that question. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
that we would be able to see and behold light in the midst of darkness. To behold him in the midst of chaos or seeming chaos. I think part of the draw that children have to the idea of a Santa Claus, though fictional, but the idea of a Santa Claus is that you have this character who is larger than life, comes from a distant place, seems in in a way untouchable, who gives gifts, but also because he comes personally. He comes to visit. He's he's coming to my house. Now, Santa Claus is no... Jesus Christ. Christ is almighty God who has come to visit, who has come to bring about a glorious, glorious redemption and true life in him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and for the life that you reveal and by your Holy Spirit apply the person and the work of Jesus Christ to our lives. Father, we pray that you would, in the midst of our life circumstances, whatever difficulties or trials that we might be facing, that that you would mercifully enable us to see and behold Christ, the Word, this life, that, that we would have more of him in our lives. Lord, that we would seek to be putting to death those things that seek to compete for the life that we have in him. We thank you, Lord, from our heart for the gift of salvation that we have, for your ongoing presence in our lives, for leading us in the way everlasting. We pray, Lord, this season that you would pour out your favor and mercy upon us, that we would know and that we would taste of your goodness, uh, your deep and abiding grace. Uh, For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.